Chapter 15 of The Tick and Coat Treasure by William LeCue. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter 15 Reveals Something of Importance. The thieves had made a thorough search of old Mr. Stafford's study. Every hole and corner had been methodically examined, an operation which must have occupied considerable time. Neither Mr. Stafforth, his housekeeper, nor the servant girl had heard a sound. It seems that only after searching the study thoroughly had the burglars turned their attention to the safe. There were three of them, the detective asserted, for there had been a shower in the night, and he found on the carpet distinct marks of muddy shoes. The instruments they had used on the safe were of the newest kind, and it seemed a mystery why they had not succeeded in opening it. Having discovered the parchment with the seven signatures, they most naturally searched for the other documents found on board the derelict. Fortunately, however, the book penned by the noble Bartholomew remained in its place of security. Of course, this desperate attempt to gain possession of it removed all doubt that there was someone else besides myself endeavoring to solve the secret. But who could it be? Who could possibly know what was written upon those dry old parchments, save Job Seal, Mr. Stafforth, and myself? Seal was an honest man, quite content with his share of the spoil already in hands. Well, it was to the interest of the old paleographist to solve the mystery in conjunction with myself. Did the horde of sea rovers still exist? Hundreds of times I put to myself that question. For answer, I could only reflect that there was someone else, an unknown rival, who believed that it did, and who was sparing no effort to obtain the secret of its hiding place. Of course, it was quite possible that when the place of concealment was discovered, it might be empty. Over three hundred years had passed, and in that time, accident might have led to its discovery. There had certainly not been any betrayal of the secret, for while one cryptic document had been in the hands of the Nuttons, the key to it had been afloat or submerged beneath the sea. I took Mr. Stafford aside, and we agreed to tell the police as little as possible, lest the facts should leak out to the newspapers. Therefore, the old expert explained that the parchment books in his possession were precious ones, and most probably the thieves desired to obtain possession of them on behalf of some other person. So the detective, with an assistant, made copious notes, examined the marks of chisels and jimmies, and after a great show of investigation, left the house. Ah, doctor, exclaimed the old man with a sigh of relief after they had gone, I had no idea that our rivals were so close upon us. I think you had better deposit that book in your bank for greater security. The scoundrels, whoever they were, may pay me another visit. I expressed regret that he should thus have suffered on my account, but the poor old gentleman only laughed, saying, <laughs> My dear doctor, how could you help it? They want to get hold of the key to their cipher. Possibly, in their document, it is stated that there is a key to it in existence. But how could they be aware that it is in your possession? because you are undoubtedly watched, he said. I shouldn't wonder but what every movement of yours is known to your rivals. Well, I laughed. Fortune hunting seems to be an exciting game. 
Mind that it doesn't grow dangerous, was the old man's ominous warning. But you don't anticipate any personal violence, do you? I think it is wise to be very careful, he said. You have a secret rival in these investigations of yours, and where a fortune is concerned, some people are not over-scrupulous. We have here an illustration of their desperate efforts, the employment of professional burglars. But even if we found the Italian's hoard, would it not belong to the Wallertons? I suppose it would. But, smiled the man, if we could not discover any Wallerton and held the property for ourselves, I think our position would be practically impregnable. The government might claim it. No, it would not be treasure trove. We have all the facts concerning it in our possession. It would not be a hoard accidentally discovered and without owner. One-third of it, remember, has to go to a nutton. Yes, to that drunken fool down at Rockingham. He deserves, at any rate, to lose his portion, I said. Mr. Stafford brought forth the old parchment book from the safe, and, opening it at place marked with a slip of paper, re-examined the straight row of cipher letters with their equivalents, while I rose and looked over his shoulder. The writer was a careful and methodical man, even though he might have been a fierce and bloodthirsty sea-rover and a terror to the slave-raiders. He certainly took the very best precautions possible, so the secret of the whereabouts of his hoard should not be discovered, for, as you see, the document left in the hands of the Nuttons was useless without this book, and the book useless without the document. It was evidently his intention to return to England and deposit the book in some place of safety, but before he did so, disaster befell the seahorse and she went down. Together we packed the book in brown paper, tied it with string, and securely sealed it, using the seal upon my watch guard, and that same afternoon I deposited it with a bank manager, receiving a receipt for it. But before leaving old Mr. Stafford, I assisted him to put his books in order, and we chatted together the while. It was his opinion that if I went to Rockingham again, I might obtain some news of the movements of the man Purvis. Indeed, he was in favor of my making a short visit there in order, if possible, to ascertain the identity of any person making inquiries. You see, he said, we are working quite in the dark. Our rivals know us, but we do not know them. That places us at a distinct disadvantage. If we knew them, we might outwit them. I saw the force of his argument. He was a man of sound common sense and never gave an opinion without careful consideration. It certainly seemed quite feasible that our rivals might be down at Rockingham or Caldecott. Do you think it worthwhile to rent the manor house from the Kennaways? I suggested. They are only too anxious to get out. Is the rent high? About fifty pounds a year. Well, doctor, responded the old gentleman. I certainly think that the affair is worth spending fifty pounds upon. You see, you've bought Captain Seal out of it, and the matter is now practically your own affair. Besides, if you rented the manor, you would keep out your rivals. Yes, most decidedly, go down and take the place for a year. 
not a very desirable place of residence i laughed i know but be careful these other people don't again forestall you go down there tomorrow and make the bargain at once the old place may contain the treasure or it may not in any case no harm will be done by your being the tenant for a year thus it was that in the blaze of the noontide sun i next day passed up the little main street of caldicott traversed the somewhat odorous farmyard and entered the silent moss-grown court of the manor-house a fair-haired slip of girl came to the door in response to my ring and after a little while mrs kenaway who had gone to put herself tidy to receive visitors entered the dining-room that room which contained my pet abomination furniture covered with brown american cloth the good woman seemed quite pleased to see me again her husband was out on his round she said but nevertheless she offered me the simple hospitality of a glass of milk well mrs kenaway i commenced after i had grown a little cool i've come on an errand which i dare say will give you some gratification when i was here some time ago you told me you wished to sublet your house i have spoken to my friend about it and he has sent me to take it on on his behalf i forget exactly the rent you named well sir responded the woman funnily enough i'm in treaty with a gentleman who wants to take the place i promised to make no arrangement until i heard from him who is he i asked quickly what is his name i forget sir but i have it written on an envelope upstairs i'll go and get it and she left the room i determined to take the place at all hazards i was by no means a rich man but even if i had to pay a hundred pounds to secure the ramshackle old house it must be done she returned with a crumpled envelope in her hand upon which was scribbled in pencil george purvis seven calthorpe street gray's inn road london my heart gave a bound here was the actual address of the man whom i had been for weeks in search the purchaser of the key to the hidden wealth i endeavored to betray no surprise but to conceal my jubilant feeling was certainly difficult if i had a clue to my rivals i had also a clue to the employers of those burglars who had so terribly upset poor old mr stafford's study how long ago is it since this gentleman came to see you i inquired scribbling the address on my shirt-cuff and handing back the envelope his first visit was two or three days after you came the woman said he seemed very much taken with that coat of arms on the wall outside and asked me if i knew anything of the history of the place of course i don't i only know that somebody named walsh lived here about a hundred years ago for their graves are in the churchyard the gentleman stayed at the sunday arms in rockingham for a day or two but before he went back to london he told me that it might possibly take the house off my hands he came again about a week ago and had another round and then made me promise not to let it until i heard from him what rent did you ask fifty pounds a year and he thought it too much well he seemed to hesitate perhaps he thinks he can get it cheaper but he won't i wondered whether this hesitation was due to want of funds more probably however it was because of the uncertainty of the whereabouts of the hidden loot the house would just suit my friend who wants a quiet for his studies i said and if you will let it i'm prepared to pay you a year's rent down at this minute she shook her head 
I had misjudged her, believing that ready money would tempt her to a bargain. But she was a woman of her word, it seemed, for her answer was, No, sir, I'm very sorry, but you see I gave a promise to the gentleman and I can't break it. But you didn't give your promise in writing, did you? You did not give him an option on the property. I wrote nothing. I merely told him that I wouldn't let it before he had given me a decided answer. He may be a year deciding, or even more, I pointed out. Are you prepared to wait all that time? No, I can write to him. Such a course would not suit me. If she wrote saying that she had another prospective tenant, then he would clinch his bargain at once. No, my object was to oust him in this. He had outwitted me once, but I was determined he should not get the better of me on a second occasion. My next thought was to offer a higher rent than that asked, so as to give her a margin of profit on the transaction. But suddenly a thought occurred to me that it was her husband, not herself, who held the lease, and perhaps I might not find him so scrupulous about keeping promises if there was a ten-pound note to be got out of the bargain. So I expressed regret and all that sort of thing, and said that I would like to see Mr. Kennaway on his return. He went to Stamford by train this morning, she replied. I'm expecting him every minute. So I went out and wandered through the neglected wilderness that had once been a garden. Everywhere there were signs of a long-departed glory, broken statuary, ivy-grown balustrades, and a fine old sculptured sundial, now, alas, entirely hidden by creepers and ivy. Mrs. Kennaway's husband returned in about half an hour, a thin-faced, dark-bearded, thick-set little man with a pair of sharp black eyes, which told me the instant I was introduced to him that he was a good businessman and ready for a bargain. Seated with him on an American cloth-covered chair in that inartistic dining-room, I commenced a chat about insurance matters, and learnt that business was not very good about those parts. Then, in his wife's presence, I approached the proposal for taking the house off his hands, explaining what Mrs. Kennaway had told me on a previous visit regarding its unsuitability for the reception of paying guests. Well, he said in a gruff voice, things do happen strangely. You're the second gentleman we've had after the house within a week or two. We'd be pleased enough to let it. Only my wife has promised somebody else in London. She has told me that, I said. Of course, if you refuse to let the place, well, then good. But not only am I ready to sign an agreement with you this afternoon and pay you the whole year's rent in advance today, but in order to secure the place from my friend, I'm ready to make a bargain with you. What's that? I'll give you an extra ten-pound note over and above what you've asked this other gentleman. Husband and wife exchanged glances. I saw, as I had expected, that ten pounds and release from the burden of the house, which was far too large for people in their circumstances, was a temptation. Well, my dear, he asked, what do you say? Shall we let the place and clear out? I've given you my offer, I interposed with a careless air. My friend commissioned me to find him a quiet place at once, and I am prepared to pay more than it's worth because of my own family associations with the place. Well, we have the other gentleman, you know, insisted the woman. It's not at all certain he'll take it, I said, and if he does, he won't pay you so much as I offer. The man was ready to clinch the bargain, but the woman was one of those scrupulously honest bodies who hesitated to break her word. 
they talked together for a few moments out in the hall while i awaited their decision it was in my favor and within half an hour the necessary preliminaries were executed agreements were written out and signed and mr kennaway had in his pocket my check for sixty pounds in exchange for which i held his lease and his agreement handing the place over to my care subject of course to the landlord's approval in one instant at least i had got the better of mr purvis and what was more to the point i had obtained his address End of chapter 15